And so this is Easter. Easter, we celebrate not just a memory of what happened in the past, but what God is doing right now. And so Easter is not something we commemorate from 2,000 years ago, but the risen Lord is alive and resurrecting people today in our brokenness, but also there will be a true resurrection in that end time. And so as we go into it, I'm going to just hold my paper. <laughs> I actually don't preach like this. But I want to start with a story. Do you remember A&W uh, restaurants, root beer and restaurants? So in the 80s, they were getting clobbered by other fast food restaurants. So one restaurant had quarter pounder. So A&W executives got together and said, hey, we got a brilliant idea. Let's make a third, one third pound burger. And let's price it the same as a quarter pounder. They'll come storming in. Well, the sales flopped, and they couldn't figure it out. Wait, we're giving more meat, same price. Why are they not coming? So they did, a, they did a survey, and they did a focus group, and they discovered that participants were concerned about the price of the burger. So they said, why? Quote, unquote. They were saying, customers were saying, why should we pay the same amount for a third of a pound of meat as we do for a quarter pound of meat? It turns out that the majority of the participants incorrectly believed one-third a pound was actually smaller than one-fourth pound because three is less than four. This is America in 1980s. <laughs> and so imagine, imagine having a silly mistake and misunderstanding that you miss out on something that's great for you. Imagine that just because of a just honest you know, simple incorrection that we miss out on something great. And I want to ask you this question. Do you really believe that Jesus died and rose again? Do you believe that he lived, that he died a brutal death? He was crucified on the cross. His heart stopped. Medical, clinical death is when the brain stops or the heart stops. And then three days later, he rose again. That this truth is not just something that we hold to as faith, that this is an event that we remember in history. And so to believe this will alter everything in our lives eternally, and to not believe makes us like the one-third pound burger people avoiders. So Christianity is very simple. It's that God sent his only son to die for our sins on the cross. And the Jesus Christ, he died and rose again. That's the simplicity of this gospel. And so we gather together... Because uh, I want to share this. Chuck Colson. Does anybody remember Chuck Colson? He was part of the Watergate scandal with Richard Nixon. And he went into prison. And that's where he actually became a Christian. And I want you to re listen to what he wrote. He came out of Christ prison and started Angel Tree Prison Ministries, actually. I know the resurrection is a fact. And Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, or put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. That puts it into perspective that this resurrection was not something that people made up or they stole Jesus' body. And I, I learned this in college. Can you imagine the disciples broke into the tomb, stole Jesus' body, and they're going, this is going to be great. 
We're going to fool them. And as they're being tortured, crucified, they're going, <laughs> we're dying, but at least it was a great joke. No one believes that. No one could come up with the body. And Richard and Chuck Colson is right. We can't keep alive for a few days, let alone 40 years. So in the first Corinthians, we read this letter. Just to give you a backdrop, uh, some of you who went to church and are in the church, this, this will hit home. This was a letter to the church that Paul wrote, to a church that he planted in Corinth. And it's a church struggling with, get this, division because they were favoring which pastor that they like more. Some people like Apollos. Some people like Paul. And they were arguing about that. This was a church that had false teachers coming in. This was a church that was struggling with sexual sins, including boasting about sleeping with their mother-in-law. It's like Jerry Springer 2,000 years ago in the church. And they were defending it in the church. It wasn't like we were ashamed. So Paul's listening to this, getting a headache. And there's a controversy about which food to eat. This food was offered to an idol. Should we eat it or not? And towards the end of 1 Corinthians, they start debating about which spiritual gift is more precious. Speaking in tongue or prophesying. Well, my spiritual gift is more important than yours. And so in church, we kind of hear that sometimes. Well, I'm the worship leader. Now, Billy never says this. I'm being hypothetical. Well, I'm the pastor. Well, no, I make the coffee. I'm the most important. And so imagine Paul writing to this context, and he's writing this letter, and in the whole letter, he's conveying why we need to have unity. And he gives three powerful reminders. The first is very simple. What famous chapter is in 1 Corinthians? Do you all know this? Chapter 13, which is about love. The first thing is, hey, he reminds them of what love is. He devotes a whole section, 1 Corinthians 13. At the end of it, he writes, So now faith, hope, and love abide, but these, these three. But the greatest of these is, we know that, right? And so Paul is saying, hey, what keeps us together is love. And the way he defines love is not this mushy feeling you have for the person sitting next to you. Like, hey, honey, you're so cute today. No, this love is selfless, sacrificing, yielding, surrendering love. You see, love doesn't feel like love, but you see love in action. And love is the agape love of God. I think a lot of times we go to church and we're like, I didn't feel anything today. And I, don't, I think we missed the point. Sometimes we feel it. Sometimes we don't feel anything. Love is not what we feel. Love is how we live for the sake of putting others before us, to put God above all. And this is what America struggles with. Frankly, all modern countries. We have put ourselves in the middle of it. And so Paul says, God's love holds us together. Don't you forget that. And he's asking them, do you regularly sacrifice for one another? Do you regularly surrender and yield to one another? Or is it your preference first? And so he says, remember love. Second thing he says, it starts with 1 Corinthians 15. In the beginning, I'll read it again, verse 1 through 4. Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you. What's the second thing that holds the church together? It's the gospel. It's not the music. It's not the building. It's not the pastor. It's not the food. <laughs> it's the gospel. And so he says, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. He's saying to the church, don't forget why you're here. Don't forget what makes us the church. It isn't because you signed up for the church. 
You've been included and invited by the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is sinners are saved by the work of Christ. So he says, in accordance with scripture, this is God's plan. This is what Jesus did. So the gospel is simply this. Religion says this. Religion says, you must do this for God to accept you. The gospel says, this is what Jesus has done so we can be accepted by God. Zarina's story, kind of, you hear that. There's nothing that Zarina did. Zarina didn't say, you know, at 25, I got my life straight together. I figured out academics. I figured out character, and I fixed it. I got a little self-help books, and now I'm here. Did you hear that? Did you hear that, church? We heard God grabbed a hold of me even when I fail. What is that? That's the gospel. And the church, we say to her, welcome to the club. We're a bunch of failures, but God is a gracious God. Amen? And so Easter is not that you dress up pretty and you come to church showing your goodness and you're like, you know what, I kind of like that guy. He looks like he has it together. No, church is, hey, there's a broken guy. Welcome to the club, starting with the pastor, because we're saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus died for us. Paul says he was buried, and then on the third day he was raised to life in accordance with Scripture. What does a wounded, fractured Christian community need? We need the gospel. We, we, we don't need judgment. We, we don't need superiority. We don't need side comments and gossip. What we need is abject, honest, just confession. Here we are, people who can't get it right after all these years. But here is God who is alive and holds us together. Gosh, that's the church I want to be a part of. And so when we fail, what do we do? We forgive you because I need your forgiveness too. We, we love, we bind each other, we hold each other. So Paul says, love holds us together, the gospel holds us together, and then third, he ends with the resurrection of Jesus Christ holds us together. The resurrection of Christ makes it possible for a couple of things. Number one, we heard it again in Zarina. If Jesus didn't rise again from the dead, we would have absolute no power to change our ways. We would still be just religious people stuck in sin. Paul even says this, right? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we are the most pitied. Like, think about, look at all this setup. We, we wasted all this energy and time since 4.30 in the morning for nothing if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. We're just kind of playing church. In fact, we're telling the community about a false God who didn't rise from the dead, and we are misrepresenting him, as Paul says. Pity us. Shame on us. But thanks be to God that the dead are raised. And since the dead are raised in God's power, Jesus Christ arose. Do you believe Jesus rose again? I'm going to tell you, I stand here not because I went to seminary and I figured out the Bible, and I'm definitely not the most knowledgeable of the Bible. I stand here because Jesus Christ rose again. And he has claimed me. He has owned me. He has transformed me. And so the first thing Paul says is, I, I would be the worst of the apostles because I actually persecuted the church. And so Paul, Paul reminds us that resurrection is a story of God changing lives. Serena's life was changed. Growing up in a home like that, Christ took a hold of her. Paul's, Paul's life was changed. I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. 
that believing that Jesus died and rose again is transformative because Romans 10, 9 says this, because if you believe, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So life change happens when we're saved by this gospel. Paul goes on to say, resurrection overcomes this finality. What's the finality of this world? Death. Resurrection ends death. It kills death. Isn't that a beautiful poem? Death is dead because Jesus is alive. How does that, how does that work with me? Well, it means that physically we're all going to die. I, I say this stupid joke. Ten out of ten people surveyed, 10 out of ten people will die. We're all going to die. It's not a matter of living longer. So including what's interesting is Lazarus was raised from the dead by Jesus, but Lazarus eventually died. So the miracle of Jesus to save him at that moment was not to keep him alive, but to save him in that moment to glorify God and to show the world that God's powerful. But he died. So we are not going to avoid physical death, but we can avoid eternal death. And that's what Jesus killed, the separation. And so Paul writes, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. In other words, everything you feel released and forgiven for, sorry, you're still under, you're on the hook. That's what Paul is saying. Then those who have fallen asleep, that's a fancy way of saying those who have died. Raise your hand if you know at least two or three loved ones that have died. I'm sorry, Paul says, if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, they have perished. It's over. See you later. It's gone. But he says, verse 19, if in Christ we have in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Sinners are hopeless in sin if Christ didn't rise. So Paul says in this world, there is no hope after death. How many funerals have you been to? Just, just you don't have to say it out loud. Maybe 10, 20, 30, 40? This is not a boast. I just, it boggles my mind. I have done almost 120 funerals at this church. They're not all from this church, but 120 funerals. And there are some funerals that are just like parties. You know why? Because the person was a believer. There, there was this joy. The, the, what they left was a full life. It's a complete, it's a celebration that this person left a mark. And we're going to miss him, but... There's going to be something beautiful. But I've been to funerals, I think maybe three, where it was absolutely, I can't describe it, but just, just flat and dead. There was no sense of hope. There was just no, because everyone knew this person rejected and did not have anything to do with God. And so how do you do a funeral? You, you point the rest of the survivors, people, family, to the hope. But there is this sadness because everyone's thinking it. They're just not saying it. And some people will say it with a wishful thinking. Well, I hope they're in a better place. But deep inside, people, I think, can tell, will I see him again or her again? And it's absolutely depressing. And so when I come back home, I have to go take a nap for two, three hours because it's just so emotionally draining. I've been to two or three of those. Fortunately, out of the 120, many of them, most of them were just men and women who had given their life to Christ, believed that Jesus died for them and rose again. And so we have this promise. And so Paul says, 
we would be pitied if Paul, if Jesus never rose again. And he says, verse 20, but in fact, I want you to say hallelujah after this verse. Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Do you know what first fruit means? First fruit means he's the first of many to come. Resurrection killed death. So Jesus becomes not one object, inspiration, or example. He becomes the pathway, the pathmaker for all of us who are in Christ to conquer death. And what's crazy is even people before Jesus' time, like Abraham, they also defeated death because by having faith in God, they too were collected into the promise of Jesus Christ. This is why we celebrate resurrection. June Stickney, Ruth Downs, Bob Hampton, Beverly Frank, Jack Minsker, Mandy Flores, Don Douglas, Don Inman, Jason Arnold, Judy Cassani. We could go on and on. You know who these names are? These are names of the people who are not dead. In Christ, they are alive. This is the power of the resurrection that Paul is saying. This is why Easter is joyous. And even in funerals, you can have this juxtaposition of joy while having this grief. And they're both fine because Ecclesiastes 3 tells us there will be time for tears and there will be time for laughter. There will be time for mourning and there will be time for joy. And it comes together. But what makes both possible has to be that Jesus died and rose again. Friends, we gather here not as mourners. Those who went ahead of us, who have fallen asleep, and who have been in Christ, they are alive. So it sounds like a funeral service, right? But that's what funeral Christian funerals do. They point to a hope of resurrection. So I might have shared this story with some of you, but it's okay. If you're one new person today, then you heard a new time. But a father had two sons, and the father was a believer, and he tried to bring his sons to come know the Lord. One of them believed, and the other one said, no, I don't need this religious junk. I don't need this God stuff. And the father eventually came to a point where he became sick and was dying. The father says to the son who believed and says, son, I love you. I will see you later. To the other son, he says, son, I love you. Goodbye. So that son who heard goodbye just was shocked and said, wait a minute, dad. Why did you say I'll see you later to him? And why did you say goodbye to me? And the father said, frankly, our hope is in Christ And in Christ, we will live again. Your brother believes and there will be a resurrection. There will be a reunion. But if you don't believe, this is a goodbye. And I want you to believe. And so the other son desperately sought after and heard. And I'm not sure how it ended. But for Christians, friends, this is why at funerals, we don't say goodbye. We say, see you later. And when Jesus died and rose again, he told his disciples before that, I will die, I will be crucified, betrayed, crucified, beaten, die. But on the third day, I will see you later. (laughs) And what Paul says is, he appeared, he appeared, he appeared. In 1 Corinthians 15, you'll see that four times. He appeared to Cephas, he appeared to the disciples. He appeared to 500, he appeared to the least to me. Now, I know we haven't physically seen Jesus resurrected, but Jesus' resurrection power is here with us today. And that's why we get to celebrate and rejoice in the empty tomb. 
the egg, some of the eggs that kids may get are empty, and the symbolism of that is candy is great, but something empty is actually a beautiful thing. What could be beautiful? The tomb of Jesus Christ was empty. And so Paul ends all of this with, this, with these words, and I want us to hear it together. What the, when the perishable puts on the imperishable. He's, by the way, did you ever wonder what kind of bodies we'll have in heaven? Will you have the same mole and will I have these big ears? Like, I don't know what. Well, he answers that. He says, listen, um, it doesn't work that way. Your, your body now is not the body you get. So he says, when the perishable become, puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? He's actually borrowing from Hosea 13, 14, which says, I will deliver this people from the power of the grave. Where, O oh, death, are your plagues? And he goes on. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying here at the end of this chapter is, because Jesus is alive, sin, guilt, and death are no more. They cannot have power over you. I'm going to say that again. Sin, guilt, and death cannot have power over you when Jesus Christ is in you. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You see how he ends with that? So clever. Because Jesus Christ rose again and we are steadfast, secure in him, live hard, live well make a big difference in this world for the kingdom of God because you are secure in the Lord. Be steadfast in all that you do. So some of you are going through some rocky times because Jesus Christ rose again. Be steadfast. Be secure. He is your foundation. Because Jesus Christ rose again from the dead, we may grieve for a moment, but joy comes in the morning. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, on this beautiful day, with this beautiful air, and we are just seeing a glimpse of the actual beauty of the risen Lord one day. One day, Jesus, we will see you face to face. One day, though those who have fallen asleep and went ahead of us, we will again see them again. So this is the promise. This is the hope. This is the joy and the faith that we believe that, Jesus, you actually died and rose again. We believe that sin is defeated. We believe that we no longer have to be in bondage to chain of shame and guilt. And we believe that death may impact us, but it will never defeat us. And so, God, in this beautiful day, would you increase our faith? Would you elevate our hearts? And, Lord, would you claim victory again every day when we find ourselves in a gray area and as you remind us that you are the God who is a risen Lord, who is alive today, tomorrow, and forever. And we will rise with you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.